Hello everyone, welcome to, what is it, episode 32, uh, Tennis with an Accent. We have been kind of incognito now back uh, to do a lively episode. Anand is here as well. And Sakib, you've been traveling places. Where have you been? I was across the border. <laughs> All right, so you've been there at the Rogers Cup, so look forward to hearing about it and many other topics. And my mom thought it was actually Roger Federer's Cup and I had to clarify it's a phone company. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you want to talk about? Uh, there's plenty going on in the tennis world. Yeah, let's start with what's happened uh, just lately. I mean, the Montreal Rogers Cup, big win for Sasha Zverev following up on the City Open. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm amazed how this kid is actually living up to the hype. Um, for a little bit, I just thought he might be floundering when he, you know, when he was struggling in the best of five format. But he's clearly showing some real goods out here. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was never, ever a doubt that how good this guy is going to be. And let's go back to when we interviewed Nick Lester. He said, we shouldn't be judging Zverev week in, week out. But it's very tempting, right? He played uh, flawlessly at Rome and then was a first-round casualty at Roland Garros. And now he's showed he can... He has done something that, uh, you know, very few people can do. Win uh, two titles back-to-back. He's like on a 10-match winning streak. Uh, it's only a matter of time. He may win the U.S. Open this year, which will not surprise many people. But at the same time, that win is around the corner. I mean, he is for real. I agree. Yeah, and you watched him play live. Uh, what's different about his game? Is there something you you saw that that you know that's kind of making him stand out right now? Uh, I was in the uh, press gallery, which is kind of uh, not as uh, a good seating arrangement like it was in Miami, and I haven't seen Zverev singles uh, courtside. In Miami, I uh, watched him play doubles with his brother, which is a different game. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of his matches uh, because of late matches in Washington. So he definitely brought the momentum. And in the press, uh, I did ask him if the gas game match, uh, because tennis is all about a lot of about momentum. And if him getting out of jail in that match was the reason why he was still playing well in the tournament. And he kind of agreed. He said, yeah, momentum is huge in sport. And but he's he played really well. you know, that day when we spoke, when I spoke to him. And uh, yeah, he, he has the goods. I mean, I think, uh, I still think I don't want to like take anything away from Zverev. Uh, uh, I still think uh, people won't learn like this, but I still think Nick Kyrgios has a higher high. But Zverev is more complete. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I used to think that uh, a few months ago. And I'm starting to wonder if, because Zverev is still a young guy, he's, he's 20. We may not have seen Zverev's highs yet. I mean, we, he's just getting started here. I mean, Kyrgios is only this year and maybe towards the end of last year is when he really started showing some of his A-game. And Zverev, for me, maybe maybe that A-game is coming next year at one of the slams. And oh, then, oh, then... Definitely. I mean, uh, I'm only speaking of what I have seen. Zverev, no doubt, has a couple of years left. He's younger than Kyrgios and he is scary good already. But uh, tennis is a matchup thing. I think even if... Suppose, for example, if if we have seen both players full, fully, you know, like their best level, I still think Zverev is someone who's so dialed in tennis. Uh, he's very well managed uh, compared to Nick. It's pretty clear. And uh, I think he's someone who's going to just keep destroying the field. And if Kyrgios keeps the date and if they keep, you know, playing big matches, I think outside of French Open, I think what so far I have seen, Nick has a higher high. But then Nick would be like Safin, he could be a casualty in early rounds and we may never see the full potential of Nick Kyrgios but I agree with you that Zverev uh, will definitely improve but I'm only saying uh, this assessment 
basically based on what i've seen so far yeah nick nick the enigma i mean we have one for every generation i guess and uh, we'll never know where this guy's going to end up uh, but i i always wonder is is the whole next gen tournament the rankings all of that pretty much lame right now because sasha's whatever is so far ahead of his, the rest of his peers it almost seems like you shouldn't be even looking at the whole next gen thing because you have one guy who's ready to break through you have another guy who actually did really well shapovalov um i almost think that next gen is kind of insulting um to zverev because he's here today uh, competing and beating the best i don't know if you remember like back in uh, new year's eve episode when our podcast was you know fairly young not many people probably remember that <laughs> uh, i disagreed about the very idea i think the sport is in good hands uh we did not need that kind of an event which is an experimental event and that kind of shows uh this uh, sasha zverev is so he's like miles ahead of the competition so he's going to make pretty much a mockery of the competition he'll go in and destroy everyone there and that kind of proved my point you know if boris becker was young enough he was younger than the boys champion in 85 so when you are on the tour you know don't make a segregation of men and boys everybody you know who's playing in the pro tour it should be only one best eight event but i guess atp you know they are insecure uh, considering when federer nadal and you know djokovic and murray are gone they want to create a product that's uh, liked worldwide well, guess what the product showed up early um, i i want to ask like if you look at the semi final opponent uh, denis shapovalov created some crazy waves uh, it's interesting zverev beats uh, federer shapovalov beats rafa something very poetic about that whole thing uh, i mean this is the probably the rivalry of the next generation um what's your take on shapovalov you watched him play too yeah, yeah i was there uh, in that match and the whole stadium i mean this was a very against rafa yeah against nadal was a very uh, davis cup like environment and this kid kept delivering the goods uh, the match uh, you know from both ends had a lot of errors but both players also produced some good tennis uh Nadal was uh, pretty you know upset at losing because he was what like three sets away from being number 1 again and he had to beat Manorino the next day so that's a different conversation which we can segue a little later but yeah Shapovalov I saw him practice uh, in the morning and I was just uh, joking with my friend who accompanied me to this trip as a cameraman and he asked me how good this guy is and I said he's only won one match for the year but I mean he's <laughs> you know oozing of talent and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes Nadal to 3 I didn't nice. call the win but yeah. I was really thinking that Shapovalov is going to live up to the occasion but the third set was epic you know nadal they, they both pushed each other and uh, it was just phenomenal what this kid delivered just uh, to make this conversation a full circle here shapovalov did beat kirios on the same stage last year yeah. and that's where he announced himself but uh, sakib you remember this is more than what 12 years ago we were watching a young rafael nadal against uh, andre agassi um, at rogers cup yeah, in yeah. montreal in the final and we thought something special was happening right there yeah. in front of us and uh, this has that same feeling that's the only time in my life i rooted for nadal while you and rest of the stadium were rooting for agassi <laughs> <laughs> so no but i did ask rafa this question because it was a gut wrenching loss it was very hard sitting in front of him uh normally anand i've told you in miami the uh, how this press conferences work is you know it's pretty much in the players mercy because after a match they have you know they take they sometimes they take their time sometimes they go for a massage so you know in my short uh, short experience in the in the press room uh, i have never seen anything like this we were all making our way to the press conference and while we got in the atp liaison was standing outside and he's basically whispering to everyone come in and then we go in there nadal sitting there that was kind of very intense scene and he's sipping his water 
very nervous energy, shaking his legs. And I, you know, I've been getting the first seat because I try to like, you know, uh, sit in front and I was hoping for a question. I had to change my mind because uh, I had a generic question. Uh, I wanted to ask Nadal if he's going to, how long he plans to play or what is, you know, if he plans to alter his schedule. But then I didn't think that was the time for that kind of a question. And then, of course, some people started off on a very wrong note. I don't know who these people are and what preparation they have because I'm, look, I'm a nobody. So let's talk about this because, uh, Saqib, you've been in the press room a few places now. And we always see these ridiculous questions thrown at players, especially ones who are coming off losses. Players like, uh, you, you mentioned this episode, but Robin Hase, who um, a guy asked him, a reporter asked him if, uh, you know, he came through the qualifying uh, when he was actually playing in the main draw. So these are people who haven't done their research. Uh, I mean, how, how do these people get in? I mean, it amazes me. I mean, uh, I get a lot of help from, you know, of course, you and some of our friends who we discuss tennis. And then there are a lot of, you know, knowledgeable folks I interact with on Twitter. And these people are knowledge powerhouse. And you know who you are if you're listening to this. You know, Susie's of the world, the Knuckles of the world, Florian. I mean, you name it. These people just know tennis so much. And, and I get a lot of help sometimes because we all agree on these issues and I reach out to them. And it amazes me that folks who are actually attending this and they have a press job or they have a story to report, they come so unprepared. And Robin Hassa kind of gave this dirty look. I did not play the qualifying. And we'll share that recording with you in this episode. But uh, yeah, and same thing happened with Nadal. And Nadal sitting and first question is, uh, did you underestimate him? And Nadal needed help understanding because the person asking this question was very soft-spoken. And, uh, and that time I felt Rafa was... I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but I think he almost had tears because, you know, he was just so frustrated with this result. And then that was not the first question. And then, of course, he gave a typical Nadal-like answer that I'm not, I'm never, I'm not that kind of a person who underestimates anyone. And then people just kept egging on. And I don't know if they, that was a story or they were talking about nerves. So then I uh, pretty much, you know, thought of a question what you just spoke about when we saw him 12 years ago. And I said, maybe this is not a good time even though I thought it's kind of a light question, it may cheer him up. And I kind of brought that question now. That time he was a rookie and now he's a legend. <laughs> you know what's funny? Your question is great and Nadal answers it. And then immediately it's followed up by another ridiculous question where somebody is asking him if he was reminded of his Wimbledon loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, that, that, that's the kind of question. And then Nadal gave a typical Nadal-like answer. And he said, what, this is a different situation. You can't compare five to three and they didn't play a tiebreak at Wimbledon. So these, these are the moments... You know, you, it makes you wonder, like the top journalists, maybe they come for the finals because I haven't attended a press conference for semis or beyond. This time I was there till quarterfinals. Uh, Miami was first two rounds. So, you know what it is, Akif? There's one word for it. Disrespectful. That's what I think it is. I mean, yeah, you didn't do your research. Maybe that's you're slacking off. But you don't put somebody like Rafa on that and you don't get there and, and, and show complete ignorance. And it's interesting, I was talking to Rajiv Ram, you know, which is another podcast which we'll release later. And I shared him, shared with him the same uh, Robin Hassa question. And him and his wife, you know, they both roll their eyes. Like, how can you, you know, because that's the level of preparation. Because this is, you, you're sitting there and then that person gets another question. So <laughs> this is, you know, like, uh, and I, I'm sure like a lot of people who we interact, you know, who are hardcore knowledgeable tennis fans. They are better prepared. They don't even need to do a stat check because they're so informed. They're discussing the sport inside out. And they're challenging the likes of David Law and John Wertheim with great questions. So uh, that's why, you know, like I plan to bring all my friends if, you know, this journey continues. And, uh, you know, uh, 
yeah, this press room experience is, uh, it, it makes you rich, but it also, in, uh, in you know, how the tennis process works, but it also kind of gives you a good idea that, you know, people like us, we actually belong there. Yeah, because absolutely. my questions, you know, are not great questions, but they're decent questions and they are part of the interview. And again, hey, listen, whatever questions you've been asking, you've got two, three minute responses from Roger and Rafa. So they're clearly good questions, I think, worth answering. Um, hey, let's go back to, um, I mean, we were talking about Generation Next. If you think about the hardcore season, it's a story of two hardcore seasons right now. I mean, Roger is a constant, but look at the other players and you see Kyrgios, who is hot as colds and then now you look at the second half of the season and he's struggling with injuries he seems to have lost a bit of that mojo um Sasha Zverev on the other hand who who looked you know like like the lesser player against Kyrgios in the first half he beat him easily in this tournament mm-hmm. and and he's looking really strong so let's talk about Kyrgios what's happening there uh, I mean my guess is as good as yours is pretty open I think uh He's had some bad luck with injuries since uh, Sebastian Grosjean came on. He was looking a lock for a good Wimbledon run when we all saw that Miami match and everybody kind of put that match in the best three-set match, you know, of the year or at least. It's it still be, is, I think. It's going to be at least a nominee, you know, if we were to see another match. So, and then, uh, you know, I think there was a death in his family and he had to take some time off and then uh, he had an injury, I think, in uh, uh, Queens or... And yeah, he's just not the same guy since. And his personal life, you know, I don't want to discuss that kind of stuff here, but he's also had some personal issues. So again, Kyrgios is someone who's, you know, wearing his emotions on his sleeve. And uh, I, I thought like Zverev was going to win here because I don't, I think Kyrgios was a little undercooked, but I thought Kyrgios will give him a fight. But then uh, he wasn't 100% physically and nothing to take away from Sasha because I think Sasha was dialed in. He wanted to set that record straight because, you know, he's already lost to Kyrgios twice and we know what kind of a champion mentality this kid has. So, yeah, I hope Kyrgios, you know, like uh, he can figure things out and uh, and show up for the Open or maybe, you know, invest some time off like Wawrinka and Djokovic. And if he's playing week in, week out hurt, then just maybe still young, take some time off and just maybe give it a go, maybe an indoor season. Yeah, maybe one, one of the things that at least is a little refreshing is the media has not jumped on this guy again uh, for the 10th time. And, uh, you know, they've they've cooled off a little bit. They're not you know, punishing him for lack of trying and all that stuff that's been happening historically. Uh, we spoke with uh, Matthew Ebden, who was the finalist at the Hall of Fame Tennis Championship. And one of the questions we asked him was about how the media is covering um, Nick Kyrgios and also Bernie Tomic. The fact that they're actually clubbing them together most of the time. And, um, and you know, he, he was very vocal about it. And we're going to play... Um, um, a clip. A clip. Yeah, look, I know them both very well since they were very young. I'm very good friends with Bernie. We played a lot of doubles together, Davis Cup together, and even when Bernie and I were in Davis Cup together, Nick started. He was our orange boy. Like, he was the junior in the team, so I know Nick since he's 15, 16. Um, I get on good with them. You know, we we talk well. A lot of things. I understand them very well. I understand everything they go through, the goods and the bad. I understand it. I understand why they do what they do. I just wish more people would understand or, or even they would understand why they do what they do and put solutions in place or people in place to, to help guide them. Um, you know, I try to be the best influence on them that I can, but in terms of the media, a little bit the problem in Australia with the media is no one really goes in the media unless they're doing something wrong or something bad. So <laughs> you know, when, even when Nick's young, so Bernie's, you know, obviously was doing well, but he'd get all the press because he was doing stupid things, you know, and or being arrested or doing getting in trouble. 
and so then comes Nick. Nick was only 16, 17. He, you know, he wasn't crazy at all. Like, he was maybe a little bit fiery or whatever. But these young guys that come up and they're teenagers, they see these guys, and the only guys who are getting all the press and being made a fuss of are guys for doing the wrong things or bad, bad things, you know, or not good examples. So, like, basically, if you're a, a good player doing well and you're doing all the right things and you're quiet, get on with the things, you're respectful, you do all the right things, you'll get no media. No press, you know what I mean? It's the opposite way it should be. So uh, I just wish the media would celebrate a bit more guys who are setting good examples. Okay, and after you know, you guys just heard uh, the Matt Ebden clip. Uh, it's it's pretty clear. I think Bernie Tomic has you know. I think he's he's gone for a walk. I mean, uh, you know that. That the great interview, you know, from some Australian journalists trying to reach out to Bernie Tomic, and I think that interview was on the cards, no matter who's going to do it, because after what he said at Wimbledon, it was only a matter of time someone would sit him down and at least examine what's going on. Uh, and I still think he hasn't hit rock bottom. And and unlike most, you know, movies or good stories, I don't know if he's going to come back, but I still think the slide continues. Yeah, I and mean, it's pretty sad. Rock bottom for Andre Agassi was uh, 141. For Bernie Tomic, it's probably somewhere in the 400s. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, he needs a lot of help. Uh, he's, he's, I think he's a kid who is actually suffering in my mind. And uh, I just hope, for the sake of tennis, I hope that this guy gets his head back in the game. And talking about 400s, I think we can also add, add another clip. Uh, because I uh, got to ask Robin Hassa about his talented friend and countryman, Timo Debakar. And Robin Hassa gave a good response, pretty much saying, you know, when you were young... Uh, you are going charging towards the ranks and all of a sudden when injuries hit and you are struggling at 600, it's a different reality. Yeah, let's play it here. I followed your career for quite a while. You and Debakar came together. Can you give some information on him, how he's doing? I know you played him recently at a challenger event. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was like two, three years already professional when he came up. Uh, but uh, we are about the same age and it was me... Uh, and Igor Seising as well. Uh, us three, we were uh, going up the rankings uh, together, um, but they are both struggling uh, mentally, physically, um, and uh, it's not easy uh, if you've been 40 in the world and you drop all the way to 600 because of injuries, and then uh, maybe you go up to 100, but then you drop again because of injuries to 300, and that's also the ongoing process for him. and. Uh, and uh, he's doing a little bit better now, uh, but uh, guys can play. It uh, doesn't matter if it's the challengers or futures. Uh, it's really, really tough out there. And uh, and I think he feels that that it's not as easy as it was maybe for him ten years ago, where he had more the uh, I'm better than them and uh, and had that good arrogance in a way um, and that confidence to to beat them. And now he he actually sees the, these guys have that confidence and he actually doesn't so he's working on that and I uh, I will see him shortly uh, after you open uh, with Davis Cup again okay so that was Robin Hassa uh, talking about Timo Debakar uh, Hassa had a great week himself I mean this is again the beauty of this injury prone season that some of these other guys who are kind of very talented they get to make their mark they get to earn the money and they probably get to earn the points yeah, so I think this really brings up the elephant in the room, Sakib. We've been following the season for a while now. 
number one and number two. Well, he's not number two anymore. Number five now. Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray are not playing. Wawrinka is not playing in this tour anymore. Nishikori wants a rest. Kyrgios is playing hurt. Roger Federer, and I say this with a lot of trepidation, but Roger Federer looked below par in this final, and he might be carrying an injury. All right, you, you can't take Federer into the consideration because the miles on that car, he's, it's like an aging Mercedes, you know, like close to 400,000 miles. He's allowed to have... Okay, give me your theory then. What's going on with this whole men's tour? Is I always it... have said, I know you are someone who wants to go to best of three. I think we only play best of five, ten weeks a year at best if you play two Davis Cup weekends per player. So, and a lot of players don't even make the second week of slams. I think it's the physicality, uh, how homogenized surfaces have become. Players have become supremely fit. They have pushed their limits. And the byproduct is after these 30, 40 rallies, you know, rolled into a two-hour battle, you know, there's going to be niggles. And that's what we are facing. And unless, uh, I don't know, I mean, this is only here, so unless the courts are sped up. So some serve and volley, maybe short matches can happen. I think this is going to be the trend. What's what's common between Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka? What's common between all these guys? Look, they also play the same thing. They're all 30 above. Yeah, and but... I think, I mean, we give a lot of credit to fitness in this era, saying, hey, you know what? Mid-30s guys are able to play now at the top level. But guess what? That comes with the additional baggage for me. I mean, I, when I'm looking at this this generation, yeah, they're playing extremely well into their 30s. But when you make 33-year-old bodies do the things that they're trying to do, that's when they break down. I mean, this is maybe the reason why Sampras didn't play into his 30s. His body started to break down. This is why Roddick stopped playing. And these guys are really are stretching their limits. So I think age is as much a factor as, uh, you know, what's happening with the, with the schedule and everything else. It's also the mind. I think Sampras is someone is pretty open through his coaches. Like Anakon has been very vocal that Sampras hated the travel. You know, if he could just, you know, magically fly into an event he was fine but the whole uh you know the, the, the circus that the tour is and Federer loves it people say he loves the airports which is hard to believe but you know like he's <laughs> he, he's, he's he's proven it so who doesn't like flying on united right yeah <laughs> <laughs> or fed airways whatever it is so uh yeah i mean this is again i don't think the problem is uh best of five uh maybe we can tackle it some other day but i tried to ask Federer the same question uh and he said he would love to see more best of five finals in the ATP level because he used to play those. And uh, then again, you know, too bad I didn't get a second question. You know, I was happy because this injuries question was at the back of my mind uh, and I didn't get a chance. Well, so tell me this. If if we're at the US Open now and you don't have the big four playing, okay, I hope Roger plays, of course, but if he's not at 100%, do you view this as a chance for the next generation to come through? And it's exciting because of that. Or do you think this is a complete farce that we don't have the best players playing one of the biggest tournaments in the world? I mean, you can make both points. I mean, uh, injuries are a product of the grind they put themselves. Like Murray, you know, has had 40-something weeks and in a couple of weeks he won't be number one, right? Uh, I always said he was one of the best number twos and he deserved every bit of... Is he know, also one of the lamest number ones you've That's seen? where I'm going, yeah. Because, because something, you know, is beyond his control. He had like chicken pox and the guy has been hurt. And he pushed his, you know, back injury at French Open and you know, went on to defend his title at the All England Club. That makes him one of the luckiest number ones. I mean, because of the points he earned, that's a byproduct of why he stayed so long. Because, you know, the fall was phenomenal. He didn't lose a match after US Open. But the price was his body was so compromised. 
So you you can't separate the injury from the grind. I and, think and this is a question that Federer answered, which is people get a lot of credit for winning tournaments and the quarterfinalists and semifinals don't get enough points. And this is the reason why Andy Murray is actually continues to stay at the top. Yeah, that's that, that's true. And then same for Wawrinka. I mean, he played injured, I think, in Wimbledon. He, I think, was probably nursing some sort of an issue at French. And then uh, he decided after looking at Federer and Djokovic, he also pulled the plug because people want to invest into the in their careers. And who's to say these guys don't play? So two, here's my contention: Why I say the best of five is also a factor is go back and look at the women's game, right? I mean, women women are also playing best of threes. They're stretching their limits. They're also playing. I mean, if you look at women's tennis in the 1980s versus what you're seeing now, Simona Halep and the likes, the way they're playing, the power and the, the athleticism, the way they're stretching. I mean, it's it's it it really is that they are doing the same things. How come they don't get injured so often, right? I no, mean, you're right. They're doing the same thing, but I think the physicality overall has improved in women's game. Uh, and eventually, I think they will also fall prey to this once they keep pushing the envelope because the bodies are built the same way. And they will, when hard courts you're playing, you know, like these 25 odd rallies and, you know, back and forth, it's going to catch up. If, I don't know what the stats are. Men seem to be a little uh, injured a little more right now. But I, I can bet the house, I think, if the trend continues, uh, women will follow suit, I think. How much of this has to do with the balls themselves? Um, because we've heard that now we've been, they've been playing with heavier balls. That's what Qureshi said, if you listen to that interview, right? He said every company has a ball and not a single week. You play with pretty much a similar ball and that, that adds up. Yeah, so, that does. And that's, that's a lot of miles. And the other thing I can think of, Sakib, is a lot of these top players are playing really deep into all these tournaments. Um, the domination of the top five, top ten has been huge. The gap between the top five and top ten versus the rest of the tour has only widened in the last four or five years. And mm. I think that has caused these guys to break down more. I'm not so sure that people are breaking down that much in the, you know, in the ranks 20s to 30s. And I mean, it's something worth looking at statistically, but... I really think it's really affecting the top five because they're there every tournament. Yeah, but that's the question I asked Federer and I, he agreed for the first part where 16 seeds, you know, were the reason, you know, the consistency lacked because I quoted Safin and Rosé who have been pretty open in the recent past about, uh, it, you know, how this generation is more consistent and their defense is when you play number 17th ranked in the first round of a Grand Slam, you know, upsets happen. And surfaces were also a little different back then. Technology of the rackets and, you know, the strings were different. So I'm not saying, I think we've talked about this. Again, it's, uh, we have to find a good medium, you know. Uh, Djokovic, Nadal and Murray are very supremely talented players. But Qureshi said, these guys are pretty much proving the statement that it's more of an athletic sport than a skill sport. So yeah. the race for number one for the end of the year, it's turning into a hobble or a crawl for number one right now, the way these guys are playing. Um Rafa is, has got to be the front runner. Yeah, again, what happened with Federer today? We don't we don't know what the extent of that issue was. Was it just like a thirty six year old body acting thirty six, or it was something you know deep rooted? And we'll find out you know soon. If that's the case, then it's definitely advantage Nadal. But if uh, Federer somehow can you know uh, stay fit, I think it's going to be a very interesting race. And U.S. Open may get 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 the match. Now we don't know the math, but is there an outside chance for a Sasha Zverev to catch up if he has a spectacular end to the season? Mm, it's, uh, I don't know what the math is, so I'm not going to comment. But yeah, if he wins the U.S. Open, I mean, who knows? You know what the point system is going to look like, and if one of those two guys gets injured, which we don't want, you know, we want to see Federer Nadal go the wire. You know, you know where there's even more parity. It's on the women's side. Uh, so today, 
Lena Svitolina won the Rogers Cup, finally breaking through, uh, I would say, at, uh, you know, a Masters 1000. And much overdue, right, Sakib? I mean, she's been the one player we, we think will break through at a slam. That's not really happened. She crumbled against uh, Halep um, at, at Wimbledon. And, um, and now you're looking at her and she looks like a legit player who could be the next world number one. Yeah, I think she's one of the few people who can end the year as number one. Plishkova is, you know, currently sitting at the throne. But yeah, uh, that ranking could belong to any of the five, six players who are ranked below. And I think it's going to be a pretty interesting WTA season as well. Um, my question to you is, is Svitolina someone as talented as Sasha Zverev? Because I've seen her in Miami. She lost to Bethany Maddox-Sands. That's a match she should have won. And it was on her racket. And uh, she let Maddox-Sands get to her and Maddox-Sands attack the net. I know that's like old news from five months. So, Nakul is a big fan, you know, who's a big supporter of the podcast. And we've talked about Svitolina. And, uh, Very clean striker. She's got a terrific baseline game. Excellent movement. She does have the tendency, just like some of the others in the top five, to get overpowered. I mean, so we saw her against Ostapenko, for instance. And Ostapenko, when she was on, Svitolina just could not handle her power. Um, so, that is where her challenge is going to be. But she definitely seems like a superior version of the, the, the woman she beat today in Rogers Cup, which is Wozniacki. Uh, Wozniacki is a very defensive player, but, but one of the best at it. I mean, she's, she's made her sixth final this year, and she lost all six, by the way. Um, and so Svitolina has the game. Uh, I, I think, I think she's, she's ready to break through. The question is if she can produce the same goods at a slam. Yeah, that's, that's always a question, isn't it, right? So... We'll definitely keep a focus on her, and I think she kind of proved, uh, you know, that she belongs in the conversation because she's won, I think, more than few titles this year. She's pretty consistent. It's and just... I think with this win, it's likely she's going to be world number three or four. She's already ranked number five, and uh, and Muguruza is above her. Kerber is probably going to drop even more. Uh, I think we're we're seeing Svitolina break into the top three if uh, you know things go well in the U.S. Open series. What do you make of Halep's loss yesterday? She was a total no-show. I know, you know, you sometimes, as players, they have these bad, bad days. Isn't uh, Halep having a lot of no-shows? I mean, uh, th- this is the thing. She, she's been the favorite going into several tournaments. No, no, but this was a beatdown. I mean, she couldn't put a ball. I mean, Swetilina was kind of also spraying some forehands in the end. She's been Halep complaining to... of exhaustion. Uh, so, maybe, maybe that's the women's side uh, version of being injured. Um, so, Halep actually... Uh, withdrew from the previous tournament at the uh, City Open where she actually suffered from heat uh, mm. exhaustion. And so, uh, you know, I, I just think that she, she just didn't show up. Uh, and this has been happening a lot for her. So it has to get a little worry, worrisome for her. Mm. Uh, this may become, the you know, a Johanna Conta podcast, but I think she's the one to watch out for the, for the next few events if she's not injured. I was I was very big on the Johanna Conta bandwagon and I you know I was like ready to hitch myself and I'm like great I found my next good player and then I saw Venus Williams be, beat her up at, at Wimbledon and I was like yeah know, but losing to Venus is never a bad loss at Wimbledon it's, it's not like, a bad loss but then it just made me wonder does she really have the goods or is she going to be one of those players who's going to be around there you know in the semi-final quarter-final stage but not quite break through. Uh, this is the beauty of Maybe the Maybe she's a better hardcore player because she won uh, Miami. So, just being uh, from UK, the expectation was for her to, you know, win that Wimbledon title. But maybe she's someone like, you know, players in the past like Moresmo. They, they'll play better tennis outside of 
their home country. And so if you look at the women's top 10 today, um, there's three players who haven't broken through, right? So you got, well, broken through as in win a slam, right? You got Pliskova, who's world number one and oddly hasn't won a slam. Um, you got Svitolina and, and you got your girl, uh, Conta. And of those three, I mean, Pliskova clearly has a game to win a slam. Svitolina, um, clearly, again, she owns everybody else in the, in the top 10 who's not a big hitter, if I can put it that way. And Garbini? <laughs> and you, well, Garbini has broken through. She's won two slams. So, no, no, I thought you were... Not... Well, yes, she beat by Garbini too. Um, uh, Svitolina beat Garbini here at the uh, Rogers Cup. And for me, Conta is third on that list right now. I know still three and a half months into the season as Sasha's where I've... Uh, reminded me in in the press conference yeah that was a silly question i asked him with almost half the season he says not half the season it's only three months left so anyway so make a call who's going to be the number one at the year end if uh, and we can obviously you know backtrack it later on well for me it's going to be rafael nadal on on the men's side uh on the women's side, it's... Is this a way of not reverse jinxing Roger? Uh, that's <laughs> what we're doing here. <laughs> no, I just think that Rafa is the kind of guy who shows up and plays more tournaments. Roger is willing to take a step back. Um, and I are you considering he's... Federer injured or Federer healthy by giving Nadal the ranking? Because they're really close right now. And after US Open, I mean, this is the Federer domain, you know, like Shanghai, Basel, Bercy and World Tour Final, which Nadal still has not won. This may be the year, though. So it is going to be close, but I, I think Rafa is also going to have a very strong showing at the U.S. Open. Um, with Roger being injured, I'm just not—I don't want to bet on him uh, winning the whole thing. Okay. And, and on the women's side, for me, um, I think Svitolina is coming really strong, coming on really strong. Uh, I don't know if Pliskova can hold on to that ranking. Uh, so I think it's going to come down between Svitolina and Muguruza. Uh, Muguruza, if she has. A spectacular US Open. I think she's going to seal that number one for the first time. Uh, the other girl I'd be watching out for is, and everybody who follows the women's tour will dread this, is Wozniacki. Uh, the one person who doesn't win the big ones, she's always there, always playing the finals, she's getting those ranking points. Who knows, by the end of the year, she might be right there, right up there as, uh, you know, in the race for number one. Okay. All right, uh, that's a fair assessment. I would just uh, think I think it's uh, it's going to be Moguruta sitting at the summit. That's that's my prediction. So wildly inconsistent. I mean, I wish I could just say with some confidence. Uh, sometimes even Moguruta herself doesn't seem that confident. Okay, and on the men's side, I I think it's uh, it's Federer who's gonna. All right, that's a big call. Finish. No, why is it a big call? I mean, the guy just lost a final. I mean, yeah, and he was serving one thirty kilometers an hour. No, but then we are not assuming injury. Yeah, if if, if he's injured, then it changes the dynamic. And uh, right now, we haven't heard anything from the Federer camp. So I think, given that he may, even if he sits out Cincinnati, I think it's going to come down to the Open. And if he manages to go deep at the Open, I think he's a favorite for the ranking. So, one last question before we close this down. Uh, Sasha Zverev just won a couple of tournaments here. Is he the prohibitive favorite to win the U.S. Open series? Not just the U.S. Open Grand Slam, mm -hmm. but the guy who's going to win the whole series. I think he has a very good chance if Federer Nadal, if Federer is injured and someone else wins Cincinnati, Sasha Zverev wraps up the series. He already has 1,500 points. So, yeah, he, he should be sitting in good position. I don't expect him to de go deep in Cincinnati. At some point, I think winning ten matches and and uh, similar thing what happened to Nadal when he was playing French Open. You know, he lost that match to team in Rome. 
So, yeah, I expect Zverev to play at least quarterfinals here, and then I think Nadal or Federer or some, you know, someone else wins Cincinnati. All right, so uh, that ends our episode number 32. Uh, some great uh, stories from Saka from Montreal. Also, I hope you also heard some of the clips that we played. Um, and we look forward to continuing our podcast through the U.S. Open series all the way through uh, to the Grand Slam. And uh, I hope I hope that uh, some of these players that are hurt come back strong and, and actually end up playing. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye now. Bye.